another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, one of my favorite songwriters, Katie Crutchfield of Waxahachie, of the godly P.S. Eliot, of the Ackleys, of more. But we will get to all that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. And Tristan will, will get the person in touch with me, and then we, we can communicate through that. But if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for damien There's also a Facebook page run by my brother, uh, facebook.com slash turnoutapunk, and an Instagram at turnoutapunk. And then that's it. But if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is by subscribing to it, rating it on your podcast, listening to platform of choice, and then just tell all your friends about it. Let everyone know that you enjoy this podcast and spread the word that way. But speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a couple years ago and said, do what you do. Just, just don't lose money at it, Damien. And they have been, yeah, making it awesome. And we got a whole season of House of Vans coming up where I'm going to be traveling out to some of those events and doing some other stuff with them. So, yeah, they've had my back. They've really had my back. I'm really, you know, they. I can't believe they've supported this podcast this long. I, I, I mean, I, I know why they have because it's the best podcast in the world. But, I mean, seriously, it, I really appreciate it. I can't stress that enough. Thank you. And speaking of appreciate, I cannot stress enough how much I appreciate all the amazing patrons over there at patreon.com slash turn it a punk. We do footnotes each and every week. Uh, there's, there's gift packs going out, sweatsuits coming soon. I know I'm, I'm waiting on this thing, but they're coming soon and, and, and more. So check out patreon.com slash turned out a punk. Woo. On to today's show today with Katie Crutchfield. One of the one of the coolest, you know, she has played in a multitude of amazing bands. P.S. Elliot being a band that, you know, I found just via being, you know, picking up a 7-inch and became one of my favorite bands from that era. And then Waxahachie, of course, has put out a str- string of unbelievable records. And so I've, someone I've always wanted to have on the show, lo and behold, I had no idea about her connection to another recent guest that I, I found out in the course of the show. I'm going to let it be a surprise for you too. If you know it already, you're going to be like, how did you not know this? But if you didn't, yeah, it'll be a surprise for you too when you listen to the show. And no, I, it's not because I had her sister on or something. I wouldn't, I would have known that, but you'll, you'll hear. Uh, but yeah, I, I love this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes ever. So I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Here is Katie Crutchfield on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I, as we were just discussing off air, I thought I met you from one place, but you blew my mind with a whole other place. And we're going to get to we're going to get to all that. But before <laughs> we get to any of it, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, I mean, my my um, entrance into punk is so. 21st century. Um, I, I feel like it was just through being like an avid sort of like bloodthirsty music fan as like a very young teenager. So I was like downloading things for free, like we used to all do, which was such a beautiful time. Um, um, and I, I, I think the, I mean, I, I really loved the Ramones. I remember that was the first thing that you could even call punk that really spoke to me. But then from that, I found, 
like the slits and the raincoats and those were you know huge huge early punk bands that kind of um formed all of my early ideologies and things um so i i i wish it was more exciting but i actually think i must credit um just being like a nerdy kid on the internet it was such a great time because like to go from a period where you know where a cd was like 30 dollars to where all of a sudden all this stuff was free and stuff that wasn't even available on CD. It was like a, a real, I don't know, a, an immense time for music discovery. I think for anyone that was around during that era. I think so too. I mean, I think you can say a lot even about streaming culture and just about that, that in the early aughts, all of the downloading that we were all doing. Um, but I really feel like they both fed, like both um, like finding music that way, like fed into my record store um, excitement and, and vice versa. Like, I feel like they sort of um, like they were in this weird symbiotic relationship, like within me, I really one sort of like fed further into the other. And so I was doing a lot of both, which was nice. Yeah. I think there's also like, you know, because there's still that, as you're saying, that appreciation for, for the record store life, but there's just like the fact that you, you now have access to all this, just to sample it, like stuff that you, there's no way you'd be willing to spend $30 on, uh, without hearing it. Exactly. You could hear it. You could hear it and you could sort of retain all of it. Like, so, so much more quickly. I feel like just, yeah, it was, um, it was a beautiful time. Definitely. (laughs) So were you a music kid before that? Like what, what were you, like, were you, were you raised in kind of like a music household? I would imagine. You know, it's funny. I think early on in my music making, I think I would have answered no in sort of like an angsty teenage way. Like, mm-hmm. not really. My parents don't play music because my parents don't play music. Um, but now in just reflecting as like, you know, like just thinking about my childhood and, and kind of what we were doing in that house, um, there was a lot of music. We, My mom is like a – is a um, really big movie person, like just kind of like a cinephile, I would call her. Um, and in, in that she loves musicals. And that was just like a huge thing for us as kids. I feel like I have, um, just like, a, like more memories of watching musicals and then kind of pulling from that, um, than I do watching any, uh, there, there are like huge gaps in, um, kid movies from that era, like E.T. and like, like Jurassic Park and things like that, that I barely saw, but Mm -hmm. I, but I have seen like, you know, every musical you could possibly (laughs) name. Um, And I, so that, when I think about my earliest experiences of being like wanting to sing and like kind of wanting to perform music, it's all kind of, it all kind of stems from that, I would say. And so like, what was the stuff you were into other than, you know, musicals early on? Like what kind of stuff were you gravitate, gravitating towards on like TV and the radio? I mean, I guess country music. I think that's the first, the first music I really loved. And that's, that's like when I w- was a child, um, mm-hmm. we loved country music, especially classic stuff like Tammy Wynette and Loretta Lynn and stuff like that. Um, like when I think of a, a huge movie for us in my house was Coal Miner's Daughter. And, and the story of Loretta Lynn was so exciting to all of us and Dolly Parton, like stuff like that. The, the really like just country music one oh one. Uh, made by women really was kind of the main thing that I was gravitating towards as a kid. Um, but then as I sort of started to get into middle school, um, I feel like the first music I really loved was indie music of the time. So like 
Bright Eyes, Rilo Kylie, that kind of stuff. And then from there, that that was right at the end of middle school into early high school is when, you know, the the sort of like LimeWire revolution was happening. And um, and from there, yeah, that's where I found like Riot Girl punk bands and like stuff like that. So sort of, and I remember the, a big significant one for me right in like ninth grade, right as I was first picking up guitars and and trying to, attempting to play and and sing and write music. Um, a big one was the velvet underground. That was pretty huge for us. Mm -hmm. So like what kind of shows had you, had you been any concerts prior to this? Like, had you been any like musicals even? That was such a big thing for me too. Musicals. I know. I love them. Um, yeah, not really. I mean, I saw Shania Twain as a child. That's a big one. Cool. I mean, (laughs) that's a huge, huge day. She's like royalty around where I'm from. I'm sure she is. Yeah, of course. Um, she was royalty down south in the 90s, too. Believe me. Um, but let's see. I, You know, we had kind of started to... I'm trying to remember some of those like early shows. I remember seeing The Sounds, who were like a Swedish like rock band. And um, just like stuff like that. Like just kind of co- like indie shows of the time. I saw Rilo Kylie early on. But I mean, I started playing shows um, when I was 15. So really kind of... My, like my earliest experiences with concerts that I remember are the ones I played myself. So yeah. What was that? How, like, when did you actually start playing music yourself? Like first pick up like, and, and actually decide you want to start doing music. Uh, I would say right at the beginning of high school. So like ninth grade, 13, 14. Um, I, I don't really remember what the big, big moment that I was like, I'm going to like, pick up a guitar and start playing. But I just kind of, I was just sort of gravitating toward that, you know, middle school is so hard for everybody. And, um, it was just a particularly like alienating time. And I, I feel like I was, that was kind of right when I was starting to like pick up on certain musical tastes, like developing my own tastes. And then, um, and I always was good at singing. I always really liked it and would be in, you know, choir and school and stuff. And just sort of, I'd always, it always been like reflected back to me that I was okay at that. So I, so I think like through starting to sort of find my own taste, I, there's something just made me think like, oh, if I could play an instrument, then I could maybe, uh, accompany myself and like do this in a more serious way. And, um, yeah, I sort of just like elbowed my way through learning to play the guitar. Um, it's so funny when I think about it because I didn't have um, any real examples uh, and YouTube didn't exist or anything. So mm-hmm. I, like when I think about, you know, when I would break a string, like when I would break my E string, my like little E string on on a guitar, I like wouldn't replace it. And then I just like would leave it not like I would just play with five strings until I absolutely had to change it and then you know like it would take like six months of like me sort of summoning the courage to actually try to change that string um just i yeah learning to tune learning the chords all that stuff it just i i feel like it took me a really long time because i just didn't have any i'd never really seen anyone play a guitar up close before I still don't know how to do it. So I'm still in awe <laughs> of you learning how to do it back, back then. I've been watching people do it for like 20 years now. Oh, yeah. I know. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, that that was like, that was the beginning. And and I just, I wish I had a clearer memory of like when exactly the next phase happened. But at some point, kind of right around then, Allison, my twin sister, um, decided she wanted to learn to play drums. And so we sort of learned to play together, really. Um, that was sort of 
we both got better at our sort of respective positions um, by doing it together. And like, what do you think the band was that actually drove you to to physically go out and pick up those instruments? As you say, there's not many people to look at for you right there and then doing it. Like, was there an artist where you're like, ah, they're doing it. I'm going to do it like that. I, I feel like we loved, we loved the Velvet Underground. That was mm-hmm. such a big band for us. And we loved Guided by Voices. That was a big band. But I think the thing about the Velvet Underground was that they, um, that it was kind of sloppy and crazy. And like, we, it just made us feel like, oh, we can, um, just like that early sort of punk idea of you don't have to be like slash, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you can, you can like, you know, find your own way to do these things and, and just, you know, that's that empowered us a lot i think and then and then you know through that also getting into like bikini kill and the raincoats and bands like you know of women doing that um Mm -hmm. i think uh was super influential on us just to kind of go for it and not not be held back by our lack of skills um and and you know it was cool because i know that like this wasn't really part of the question but i feel like i have to mention it i i feel like the fact that we had each other made it empowering also you know like we we could kind of like build each other up um and that was that was always really empowering oh yeah i think having a sibling especially when you get into this world anything that remotely alternative it's it's great to have that backup for sure definitely big time was there much of a local scene that you were tapped into at this point or like i know obviously you're very young but like were there local bands that you were hearing about or going to see or anything like that you know that there's like two phases of our Birmingham life. And the first phase is, is a big overwhelming no um, on that. Like there was, we were, we were super ice. I would, I would call us super isolated from the Birmingham scene. We were like extremely clued in to music at large. Like we Mm -hmm. were sort of, um, were that we were like devouring, like sort of independent and underground music, culture and history but we had like no clue what was going on and to be fair we were like 14 that couldn't drive and we're like children basically so um but then you know at a certain point I remember um so so I started writing songs kind of somewhere in the midst of all of that and and we would still do covers and stuff and we would do like wild covers we would do like everybody hurts by REM and stuff (laughs) like like really intense covers um and uh I remember we played this event and this must have been I guess when we were kind of freshly 15 I would say um we played this event at our school and when we were in high school, we we could see that there were other like kids playing music. There were like a lot of skaters and a lot of um, you know punks at our school um, that we were intimidated by. That all seemed to be friends with each other, mm-hmm. but we were, we were sort of isolated from that, like probably by our own making and just being intimidated or whatever. Um, and then there was just like this one glorious night where we played this event, and some of those kids' bands were playing too, and. You know, I think we went into it thinking like, oh, they all like think they're so cool. Like they're not going to like us, whatever. We don't like them either. And then, of course, you know, they immediately came up to us and were very friendly and were like, your band is awesome. Like we should play together. And um, and just from that just stemmed a a very cool uh, connection to a very burgeoning punk scene that was sort of um, thriving with kids our own age in Birmingham. So that was you know, we played this event and then from that we got our first show at this DIY space in Birmingham. Um, that was, I guess, in the winter 
of 2004, um, I would say. So, so that was when Allison and I were about to turn 16. Um, and we played our first show there and it was just very radical. It was like all of these different kinds of local bands, like a hardcore band and a metal band and like a country band. And we all like just all these different bands played together at this DIY space. And, um, yeah, and we like killed it. We like, we played a really cool set and people really liked it. And, um, it sort of like melted our frozen heart, you know, that we had sort of, when I say our too, I'm sorry, I always do this when I say us or our, I'm referring to me and Allison. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, yeah, we just, uh, we, we got connected with that scene and that was that, so that sort of entered phase two of, of our early Birmingham life. I was going to ask like, what was kind of the makeup of the scene back then? Was it like all sorts of bands or is it like, uh, you know, certain types of bands doing certain styles? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's such a small city. I feel like um, everyone knows each other, like in the music scene, definitely. Mm-hmm. And and it, that was the case back then, too. Um, but, you know, making the... We, so our earliest band, the Ackleys, we were like, we were kind of like a... I would say we fell somewhere on the spectrum of power pop and twee pop. We were like somewhere in the middle of that. Um and so there was, there were bands that were doing that kind of music, kind of just like, you know, contemporary indie rock of the early aughts. But all of those people were probably at least a decade older than us at the time. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got such sophisticated taste, got to buy voices in, in Velvet Underground. Like I imagine like a lot of the other bands are like no effects and, and, uh, literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was, ex- that's exactly like the kids that were our age were make were in hardcore bands and like pop punk bands. Yeah. So we, we like kind of, we like dug the vibe of those shows because we had more in common with the people that made that music. Um, but yeah, we, we, in, in that way, because we sort of, um, were friends with like the punk scene, but then sounded kind of like the indie rock scene. We, we could kind of play any show in Birmingham. Um, and so that was sort of what started to happen. So, and what were those, uh, early shows? Like, like you say, I guess a real mix, mismatch of, of people and, and, and types of bands and stuff like that. But like, was it immediately that you kind of had this sort of fan base going? Um, it's hard to remember. It was like such a moment in, in Birmingham, um, our old band, the Ackleys. Like, it's one of those things where people still, it's like if I, like when Waxahachie goes and plays in Birmingham, I, I, I have this fe- deep feeling of like everyone just wishes this is the Ackley still. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? Yeah, it was such a it was such a thing there. It, and just with people my age, like it was just, yeah, we did really well. We kind of built up a fan base pretty quickly. And it was I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that we were so young and so kids like young kids really loved us. Um, and it was just fun music. It was super poppy, like just fun early 2000s, like indie rock. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember playing with hardcore bands too. And like our drummer Carter was like, he was kind of like big in the hardcore scene and was kind of a hardcore drummer. We played um, in Coliseum too, right? He played in Coliseum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, exactly. That was like our scene, Kim and Kahan and Kahan was like my high school boyfriend and like one of my, he's still one of my close friends. He's also, he's also in Coliseum. They were like, you know, very in the mix in those days of with the Ackleys and, um, yeah, so we 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 kind of did it all. We played a lot of hardcore shows. We played a lot of um, with a lot of you know touring bands coming into Cave Dine, like just like DIY tours and stuff. And and then we would occasionally get asked to open like you know like bigger indie rock shows and stuff too. 
So did you make it out of, of Alabama at all? Like, did you tour at all? Yeah, we did a little. It's funny. Um, so I, I don't want to jump ahead too fast, but basically it was interesting. So like the Ackleys, um, we, we were really popular in Birmingham and we would, we would bring out a lot of people there. And, and then we, we did do a couple tours and, but anytime we would do that, it's almost like it just never, it never quite felt like it translated. Um, or it was just like when we would leave Birmingham, the shows would just be bleak. And I think we just kind of got in this headspace of, you know, why would we leave? If we, <laughs> yeah, I if totally we understand so, that. Totally if we can do so well here and, and nobody gives a shit, you know, outside of Birmingham, like, why would we leave? Um, so that was sort of how it worked early on. And then, um, there's sort of like a series of events, um, Allison and I decided to start P.S. Elliot. And then basically when we started P.S. Elliot, we had the opposite experience where people didn't really respond to it in Birmingham. But then when we would tour, it felt like people were really um, excited about what we were doing. So then we started touring all the time. Really? Like, so is, do you think because the Ackleys were so beloved that people just, you know, out of the gate rejected P.S. Elliot? Because as you're saying, like P.S. Elliot was the band I discovered – you know, you, you, you both on and, and, you know, like getting that first seven inch, it's such an incredible record, like, you know, but it, do you think it was just like people's nostalgia getting in the way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's hard for me to say, I, I, I'm afraid whenever I like reflect on, on this, I, I'm always afraid that I'm like, you know, t- too sort of down on everybody else or like I'm, I'm, I'm self mythologizing or something. I like really don't want to do that. But my perspective on what happened in that situation was like the athletes were really popular and we were doing really great. But like, you know, when Allison and I started that band, cause we started it on our own and then we sort of started to add members and they were their mate. The two guys that were in the athletes with us were amazing people. I still love them both so much. They were, re- they were like world-class musicians, like extremely polished. Um, and they made our band sound like a professional band when, when beforehand it had been this sort of sloppy, like, you know, punk, thing but the recordings were like really scrappy and the playing was scrappy and that was like our art that was what we were trying to to make and that was our aesthetic and then when when the boys joined the band it got really polished and just it just took a different shape and that and that was really beautiful and fun for a long time but I think Allison and I got to a point where we kind of looked at each other and we're both just like um this is not what we were doing (laughs) and um And so there was that conversation and sort of at the same time, we were really coming into our own um, with our politics. I think we like, you know, had been a part of this scene that was super male dominated. And anytime I talk about this, somebody, I go home to Birmingham, like somebody's mad. (laughs) So I have to be careful. (laughs) Like I see someone out and then I'm like, oh God, so-and-so is like giving me the stink eye because I said one bad thing about Birmingham and you know what I mean? So I have to be careful, (laughs) but it's just like funny at this point. But basically the scene was super male dominated and we sort of, we were always embraced by like the boys club of it. But I think Allison and I started to kind of, feel alienated and started to kind of there's there are women at these shows but they like nobody's really participating in the scene and I have to assume that's because they don't feel welcome and so I started this collective in Birmingham and it was like people were outraged (laughs) the dudes in the scene like made so much fun of us on the message boards in Birmingham and stuff and it was like insane it's just stuff like that like our like 
are, what started as this like soft sort of um, desire to come together with the other women in the scene, like very quickly shifted into like rage for me and Allison. And that fueled us wanting to start a new band and just like kind of go, go back to the drawing board, make the recording scrappy again, you know, make the music a little bit more, um, just, yeah, just like scrap the whole thing up. And then also sort of write lyrics that weren't love songs, like write stuff that was a little bit more, um, reflective of what we were experiencing within the scene. And so we were sort of like, uh, like, in my opinion, like borderline ostracized from the beginning, just because of how we started. So <laughs> it's, it's such a terrible time for punk and hardcore. Like the, the internet really, I guess, exposed things that were always there, but like really put them out towards the public, like far before Twitter toxicity, there was hardcore message boards toxicity. Oh yeah. Which was really like about, I would say probably 10 times worse. Uh, I feel like it's gotten like if any, it's so sad, but I think if anything, it's gotten more tame <laughs> over the last few years, which is really saying something, but. Well, it's, it's weird how like the rest of the culture around it became so bad that it's almost like the rest of the culture caught up to how terrible internet hardcore culture was. Yeah, of course. Right. Totally. We're just living in the bridge nine board now, unfortunately. Oh my God, the bridge <laughs> nine board. I literally got a chill up my spine when you said that. Sorry. Oh, Sorry, I didn't, oh. mean to, didn't mean to <laughs> okay. bring that up. Oh, it's okay. It's so funny. Um, oh, we Yeah, we got a lot of hate on the bridge nine board, I'm sure. But um, yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I mean, like I said, like I, I hate to like um, blow it out of proportion or like give um, – like it's, it's just a part of the mythology of <laughs> my early, like feminism, I think is just like the bridge nine board did. It. That's what I'm a, I'm a feminist because of the bridge. nine board. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, but yeah, it was funny. P.S. Elliot kind of started and then it's, it, this is kind of actually when fucked up sort of comes into play a little bit because I remember, um, you know, like a lot of our friends were in hardcore bands and stuff and, I loved like those people and like that there were kids my age that were making music too, you know, um, but the music itself a lot of the time didn't excite me or make me like, um, I don't know, just like wasn't inspiring to me. But then I remember when Hidden World came out, it was like the first record that the hardcore kids in my scene loved that I also loved. Like, so it really oh, wow. like united all of us <laughs> together. It's like, and I remember like going, to, I would like, you know, go occasionally to hardcore shows outside Birmingham just to for the hang, you know, um, mm -hmm. but it was pretty rare. I remember that was the first show where I went with my like group of friends that was that were my age. And we all like loaded up and went to this show. And it was like a huge deal for all of us to go and see you guys play on that tour. Damn. Thank you very much. For that. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice. Of you. It's so weird because like, you know, and you obviously know what this is like, too, when you like think about yourself in the context of a band like you very rarely think about it i don't know from the outside or like the fact that like oh shit like when i was on that tour it wasn't just my own you know internal psychodrama that was happening there were other people like meeting up and going to shows and things like that like it wasn't just this i know you know you know what it's like it, it it's weird when you look back on things like that I know. Well, it's so important. I mean, honestly, that's a huge part of what keeps me in a good headspace on tour now. My best friend, Marley, is like a she's a writer and just like is a um, is like literally my life coach. But she she um, she told me 
recently I was like having such a hard time on tour a couple of years ago and, um, you know, just like it totally caught up in my own shit. And, and when I would go out on stage, I would just feel trapped there. And like, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be there. And it was, you know, we all get to that point sometimes Mm -hmm. when we're on tour. And, um, I remember she said something like that to me. She was like, you know, what you're doing is like an act of service. You should look at it that way. Like, this isn't about you. These songs mean a lot to a lot of people now. And, um, you going out there and like singing them for the people that are there. Um, it's, it's bigger than you. It's, it's for, it's for those people. It's, you know, you are, you are doing an act of service. And so I always try and like, think of that when I'm having a really hard time. Cause it is true. I, I think about going to shows myself and how, that experience has completely changed my life a lot of the time. And so you just have to kind of remember that other people are out there and they're, they need <laughs> what you're doing to happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I guess also, you know, like, like we were saying and placing yourself in that continuum where you're, you're part of this thing, like you're hopefully going to be the band for someone that the band that you saw was for you, you know, like that's, that's the goal is like, you just want to, pass on the thing that got passed to you like this baton that we all get like oh here here's you know punk ability to do what you want to do and make this music and and hopefully not have to deal with too much bullshit in during the process but like and then you can pass it on to someone else when you're in a band yeah of course definitely i mean it's so i feel like it's it's so hard to zoom out sometimes and like look at it that way but i feel like that when you can that's like super beautiful and and yeah where were the shows happening um uh you know when when you first started playing were they in clubs or were they was it more of a house show scene it was like pretty exclusively house shows diy spaces that kind of thing we would really um, yeah, it, it's not even that we were sort of actively not wanting to play in clubs or bars. We just weren't. I think we were really tapped in just through playing at, at Cave Nine, um, which was like the all ages show space in Birmingham. Um, we met, you know, a million bands that would come through there and we would like play with them and stuff. And then, you know, it, it was, it really sort of, you know, tapped us into this, this larger DIY network and, you know, come to find out pretty at the time, I feel like this is, I mean, maybe I'm totally just, um, out of the loop, but I feel like at the time, like, like, I don't know if this exists anymore, but at the time, I think there was, there was a cave nine in every city, pretty much like a, Mm -hmm. a, some DIY show space that, that there was a super active, um, you know, uh, roster of bands coming through. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it also feels like, you know, once again, I'm, I'm like, you know, slightly older, I guess. So I'm like a little bit outside, but it felt like, you know, your band, there was just like a whole wave of bands with PSL8 I'm talking about now that there was like a, a, a new wave of DIY, like DIY punk kind of had a renaissance during that period, like where there were just tons of bands around the country, new labels coming up. Like it was almost like the, the indie rock, uh, punk rock reaching for the brass ring thing had died down a little bit and like a new wave of bands were kind of like stepping up. Yeah. I mean, it really, I think in hindsight, it really feels like that's what happened at the time. It it was kind of, we weren't that self-aware, but, um, Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it was, it's a, it was a beautiful time in my life. I feel, um, so grateful for it. Um, and I also just feel like I don't really see it happening that way anymore. So I'm grateful that I had that experience where I was sort of, um, I don't even want to say like forced to do everything myself, but I was sort of like inclined to just do every, for, we were all like inclined to do everything ourselves. Yeah. It was, it's, you're right. Like it's changed now. It feels like 
I, like, I don't know, the infrastructure is a little more established. Like, that was the last great kind of, like, DIY before things became, you know, spotified. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it's like everyone is has shifted into this new age of, like, careerism because I really don't, like, shame anybody for no, that. But no. I think more than anything, it's also, like, label – People like I, I think yes, like Spotify has changed everything, and then I also think like people who run record labels and like do A and R and stuff like that have shifted their focus onto bands like that. Whereas mm-hmm. at the time when P.S. Eliot was like when we were really thriving, like that kind of music was not. I I never saw us like signing to Sub Pop or something like that. You know, like that just yeah. was never. That was I, I I would have been thrilled had they come <laughs> along, but um, that was not a part of the plan. That was not something that was happening we just you know we like made friends with cool diy labels and that was how we got our records out there well and i guess also now like the way you get your music out there and the way you get you know your your records out there has changed so much right like you almost have to become careerist just to just to get your stuff out there it's not like uh, just you know as you say maybe it's because the r and r's visions change or what whatever's changed has changed but now it's like you kind of have to be a little more business savvy just to be in a band now oh yeah a hundred percent i think it's you know it's everything is has shifted around i mean yeah it's like it's a little crowded it's a little like competitive it's it's all like pretty different i mean i think that's one of the big i like am really i've tried to really check out um and just focus a lot on my own music and mm-hmm. just like my own creative vision just because of that, because I'm like, I don't really, I actually like liked it a lot more when it was the other way around. <laughs> so I feel like I've just sort of checked out a little. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. It's all, it's all different. <laughs> so did, did PS Elliot start touring right away? Was that like, as soon as the band got going, like for, right from that demo, that first demo, the bike rack. Demo, yeah. Right? I'm trying to go back and think about like the, the, what really lit a fire under us, I think, you know, right after high school, so like right right when I was 18, um, I went on tour with this band, Fake Problems, that are from Florida, that are like um, the guy, this guy, Chris Farron, who still makes music. It was his band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like went on tour playing keys and singing backup and stuff. Just they, they we were buddies and they were like, you should come on our like, you know, big fall tour that we're doing. And um, so like I, I was supposed to go to college and I just sort of like, put that off um, and hopped in the van with them for like two months. And they were sort of on the up and up and they were like the first band I ever met who um, were kind of, they were like getting a booking agent and they were like, maybe going to sign to this label. And they were kind of, they were kind of like trying to really do it as a career. And so that was kind of my first time seeing that, but through touring with them, because they had really been, you know, um, just going hard, like in the DIY scene for so long through, through going from city to city with them, I met so many people that book shows. And so I got home from that tour. It was like two months long and I was so inspired. Um, and that was right at the end of the Ackley's. It was right when we started PS Elliot. Um, and that was like my first goal that I kind of went in to, you know, my sister and our friend Rena, who was the bass player at the time, I was like, we're get ready. Cause we're going on tour. Like I know <laughs> what to do. I know how to book shows now. I know how to do this. We're going on tour. So that was, it was just basically like a part of the plan from the beginning, just because I had come back from this big life experience and was ready to just give that a shot. And what was the first, uh, tour was it like a full u.s tour that you did and like what kind of bands were what did psla kind of fall in with yeah we um early on and this was like you know 
kind of at the end of MySpace days, um, we had become like friendly with bands, a couple bands in New York. Like I remember we were really good friends with that band Cheeky. And then we kind of fell in a little bit with Screaming Females and with Hopalong in the early Hopalong days. And um, those were kind of our peers, but they were like internet friends. It was kind of right at the beginning of you know, meeting people online and being friends with them online. So we were, um, that was kind of our, who we were talking to outside of Birmingham who were like setting up shows for us there. So our first tour, um, what we did, one of our first tours we played, I remember we went to Texas and back and we played like this amazing show with Teenage Cool Kids, which is like the pre-Parquet Courts Andrew Savage band. And uh, we played with the Vivian Girls. It was on their first tour also. Um, Together? Not on this. We didn't do the tour together. Oh, that, that, together. Was, that was one show with the two yeah. P.S. Elliot, Teenage Cool Kids, and Vivian Girls. Oh, what um, a great show! Oh yeah, crazy good show. I was. So, I remember being so excited because I, I hadn't heard Vivian Girls yet, but I like remember just watching them play and just having my mind blown. And then, um, Teenage Cool Kids was one of my favorite bands at the time, so I was extremely excited about that one. Um, but then we went up to New York and we played with with Screamales and we played with Cheeky and um, just yeah, like at just different DIY spaces in New York. And, um, yeah. So like we, we did a couple short ones and then, um, that w- those were in the days where like blogs were all the rage. Like that was just like, that was how, if, if someone just like literally some teenager in Brooklyn who ran a successful <laughs> blog, like, you know, wrote something positive about you, you were like suddenly the coolest band ever. And PS Elliot just like kind of quickly got discovered by those nerdy kids and and were being blogged about a lot so that was sort of cool for us that was the first time anything like anyone outside of Birmingham had really you know given us positive feedback and it felt at the time like an exciting thing and then I remember we came back from those tours and we made our first record and our first record sounds so different than that demo. And I remember people, I was just like afraid people were going to hate it. And then, um, and I actually think people kind of did at first, but then I slowly, it started to seem like people kind of rallied around it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, from there, after we made that first record, we did our first, uh, full U S tour, which was like two months long, uh, with hop along. And it was, it was a crazy ride. <laughs> It's such a, like, you know, I guess the other amazing thing that, well, the, the positive thing that happened to hardcore because of the internet was the the idea that you're talking about, like, these decentralized scenes that popped up where you had bands that weren't geographically situated close together, but could were, were ideologically situated close together, so would make a scene. And you see that now, like, you look at, like, Emo Trap and, and all this kind of stuff that just, these scenes that almost exist entirely online yeah, I mean that to me that was like the early um those were the early days of that, yeah, you totally. know. Um and it's funny, I actually sort of think like not to like be like you were responsible, but I feel like fucked up was like this <laughs> this in, really interesting band in the history of that because I think like, you know, I I think that you guys were drawing from a lot of different different places like like your influences were really um you know, cool and across the board and i almost feel like the kid to me the kids who were running those blogs that were sort of talking about shoegaze and talking about tweet pop and talking about all these like obscure like subgenres of music that were really influencing current indie rock i feel like a lot of that like i i could really draw lines back to fucked up to, for that um, i feel like it was a big part of it which is cool 
I think um, I, I very much, yeah, I, I very much appreciate that. And I think we were just, you know, once again, I think it was like you're talking about right off the bat, like we were just really lucky to be alive at a time where all of a sudden all these records that you would see in the store and there'd be like 30 bucks, you could listen to them all for free now. I know. I mean, it's same. And I feel like, I, I just feel like there was so much like, you know, obscure music, like stuff I would have never found in a record store that I was sort of um, turned on to like purely because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was really big. I think a lot of those blogs, yeah, like I remember like I Could Die Tomorrow was a really big one. Um, and that was, it was basically sharing. I remember like sharing zip files of <laughs> album. That was like what the vlog was. Like yeah. You could download, like, oh, here's a review of this album. And here it is for free. You can download it. <laughs> um, um, so it was like a lot of, a lot of that stuff. And um, yeah, that was huge. That was the culture. <laughs> well, I wonder if like, yeah, no, like, you know, not to be that, that old person right now, but I just wonder if like, you would have that same sort of appreciation for this stuff now because it's just, it's always been there and it's always been just, just accessible, you know, like, it's not like the, the quest isn't the same as it once, you know, in the early days of like Napster and file sharing and these blogs. I know. I think about that because like, I, I often find myself sort of just like staring into the void of Spotify. Yes. Sort of, like, what do I want to listen to? And at the time I, I'm like, what's different? Because I had this, I had this feverish like urge to just search for music. And I think it's because I had these voices sort of telling me like, Oh, you like this? We'll check out this. Well, there's this person's record from 1978 and like, it's a bootleg and it's all, you know what I mean? It's like all there's, there was all of this, um, like editorialized kind of content of like, yeah. oh, like, you know what I mean? And now mm-hmm. it's like algorithms. So I think that that's, that's one of the big differences. Well, it's like, that's the idea of staring at the void of Spotify. It's the same thing that happens on Netflix where people keep just watching the office over and over again. You just go <laughs> with comfort. I couldn't imagine going to a video store and renting tapes of the office every time I'm in the video store yet. That's what I find myself doing on Netflix. I know. Same exact, exact same. I feel like that's, yeah, I know. And, and, and I'm doing, I'm honestly, I've been lately just to try and make it better with Spotify. I like will make myself playlists, but then I'll listen to that. I don't know, a hundred, 150 <laughs> <Yeah>. times um, <laughs> for, and then I'll be like, okay, now I need something new. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, when I was younger, it's like, I couldn't move on fast enough to a new album because I was just so excited to be like consuming all this new music. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a different time. Well, it's just, I guess the energy's not there because there's just so much stuff to take in at any given time that like, you're like, oh man, the, the, or the amount of mental energy it's going to take to figure out what to listen to. I'm just going to listen to this Blink-182 record again or this Green Day record again. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. It's like the office of music, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Blink-182. Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably accurate. Yeah. Feel good. Silly. Yeah, feel good, silly kind of music. What, what was it like, though, to go? Because, like, you know, P.S. Elliot did blow up, you know, and like, obviously, the stuff you've done since then has gotten a lot more attention. But, like, to go from a band that was, as you're saying, you know, kind of not necessarily liked locally to being a band that has, like, international attention on it, what was that like to go through that process? Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, I'm always really grateful for the, um, for the pace that everything has happened in my career, like I feel very much like uh, it's been healthy. Like, like 
we I went from the Ackley sort of doing well locally to P.S. Elliott kind of doing well on a DIY spectrum to then Waxahachie kind of like growing and growing. Um, and it just feels like it never went from like zero to a hundred. It, it has just it been a slow burn in my, from my perspective. So, so basically, um, it was, it was very cool. It was very cool to, to feel like people were responding. I was so excited about the music I was making. Like that was, you know, that's always been the driving force, you know, not to be like so precious about it, but that's always been the, um, you know, the, the thing that means the most to me is just making music that I'm excited about. And I feel like at the time when I was making that music, it was some of the most excited moments of creation that I've ever had. Just super pure, super, um, just, you know, excited about the lyrics, excited about my bandmates, excited about, you know, going to band practice, all that stuff. It was just like, it was very, very cool and, and low pressure because, you know, we all, we weren't making any money. It was all, Mm -hmm. we all had day jobs and we're just like, like, like living paycheck to paycheck just to fund this like life of music. So that was, it was cool. It was like a really nice beautiful time. And then when people started to respond to it and we would, you know, our last couple of years as a band, we would go on tour, um, you know, all set up ourselves and, uh, and, and tons of kids would come and it was always, it always just felt really, really good. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a beautiful time. I don't know about yourself, but like, I kind of found there's like sort of this awkward moment where you're in this, you know, DIY band or you're trying to operate as DIY as like a punk band does, you know, and as your band traditionally does, but then all of a sudden the, the external factors around your band start to change, you know, but like the, the internal situation of the band is very much the same. It's just, you know, attention's coming at you and not to make it seem like a, you know, like a a Justin Bieber type situation, but I just (laughs) like, there are just pressures, like weird new pressures that I, I, you know, I, myself, I found it hard to handle. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like with with P.S. Eliot, I feel like we never quite got there. Like we we never got to the point where it felt like a huge shift. I Mm -hmm. feel like it happened slowly. Like that's my perspective. I feel like when it got to that point where it might that might happen, um, our guitar player will quit the band. Um, and, and we were all pretty shocked by that. It was like really, it was actually like a bummer and kind of confusing as to why he did. And like, he, we're, we've processed it a lot and we're all friends now and it's fine. But at the time it was really like, whoa, like that sucks. And it was right after we'd made a record. And so we were sort of like left at this weird crossroad where we were like, okay, we can like keep this man going, even though it seems like it's falling apart. Um, or we can start new we can just like quit while we're really ahead um before things get weird um where we have to do lineup changes and then we have to like yeah like like if this band grows any further etc um and we just kind of chose to to end it and i mean we still like we we did a couple lineup changes and and but our band like slowed down quite a bit and that was sort of when i started to do a solo project and when Allison like it's right when we we kind of it it coincided with us moving to New York and mm-hmm. um Allison started her band swearing and so it just it almost like it, like that 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 ended that that the possibility of that like you know burned out before it even could have happened which was cool it kind of like I was you know I think that was what I was trying to get at because it kind of felt like 
it was kind of bubbling up. And I guess, you know, for both you and your separate next projects, it did bubble up, you know, what I'm talking about. But it felt like, yeah, like you were on the cusp of something and then it just stopped. Like, is that – like, did you feel like you were – something was going to happen and when Will left, it was – is that part of the shock, do you think? Or, or did it just – you know, is that just me kind of reading into the situation from outside? You know, truthfully, I think what I was feeling at the time is I, I love our last record. It's it's my favorite. Um, but I also felt I was really feeling like um, I had written myself into a bit of a corner. Like I felt like we had really developed a sound as a band that I knew I could not come up with more music that was like that. I knew that I like needed to do a totally different thing musically. So, so when he quit and when Allison moved to New York and so I kind of piggybacked on that, like when all of that kind of went down, I, I was not disappointed. I was actually, I actually like low key sort of like loved the idea of us just kind of dead ending this band and sort of surprising everybody that we were going to do that. And I think part of it was because I knew I was, um, you know, Allison and I had started another band, um, called bad banana kind of right around then. And that was fun and exciting. And I had just kind of started to like work on what, what would become Waxahachie, like this, the early solo, um, songs. So I think I like was just at this, this hyper productive, in this hyper productive place musically. And I was just okay with like, we, I felt like we had, we had done everything we had set out to do as a band and I, it was kind of a bummer, but I think I was like too young and like, um, I just wasn't scared. I wasn't scared of like losing something. I just, I didn't know I had anything to lose. I think. Is yeah. Like, cause you, you seem to be okay with starting over these bands. Like, you know, like you, you've done it, uh, you know, but at this point, very on, early on in your career, you've already done it twice where you've gotten bands to the point where they're kind of successful. And then for whatever reason, had to start over, you know, most people I, like that devastates them, like for so many people and like, you know, yourself, you're just a lot more resilient than I guess myself. I mean, as I'm, you know, <laughs> fucked up, ever fell apart. I'm not doing this again. I'm quitting music. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaving behind. Yeah. I mean, maybe if, like if it happened now or like if it, if I, maybe if I was in that same position, I like. I think, I think at the time I just, you know, in my opinion, like, or like from my perspective in that, those moments, I didn't really have like a career. It wasn't, it wasn't my career. It was just like my like passion project and people loved it. But I also felt like I had their attention and I, and I just felt like I'm, I know I like have cool stuff to make. I know I have like cool records to write. I was so young. And so that's all I was doing was working on music. And, um, I just felt really confident and and granted it could have gone horribly south i'm grateful that it didn't um but you know i th- i i just had like this weird dumb luck and this weird false confidence of like <laughs> i think i'm good at this like i think if i just you know i have the- i have everyone's attention right now if i just like make something cool like it's not going to matter that it's not ps elliot people will just like react to my songs and i also think you know d- deep down i made that I-, I i was struggling in the dynamic of a band um which I think a lot of people do. And I think it's, it sounds like the most like unrelatable garbage when I, when I speak my truth about this, but I feel like, um, you know, like a band dynamic where it's a pure democracy is a hard place to, it's like, you're in like this giant polyamorous relationship. It's like very difficult to navigate. Um, speak your truth because I'm hearing it. Speak okay, your truth. You're hearing it. Okay. Absolutely. 
I mean, it's the truth. It is the truth. Yes. I think it's the truth. I, think, yeah. I mean, anyone who's ever been in a band like that, I think, agrees immediately. With, it's a very with creatively weird. Yeah. Sorry. Go. I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, creatively, it's no, so weird. No, it's it's fine. It is weird. And I mean, every band I've ever been in, I have written the songs. Like I mm-hmm. wrote the for P.S. Elliot. I wrote those melodies. I wrote every lyric. You know, all those creative choices were more or less mine. So it was. Um, it was, I, I struggled in that dynamic with like some of those personalities because we were treating it like this democracy, but I felt like I was doing the bulk of the work. So, so it just was an unpleasant situation. And I'm sure that I, at the time when I was like young and, and insane, I like probably made it a million times harder. You know, I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to like absolve myself from some kind of blame in that situation, but I knew that I was struggling and that it, I would do better in a project where it was really just me. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, and you, you keep saying, sorry, you, you said a couple times that, you know, you, this wasn't your career plan. What was your career plan? Like you've already said you dropped, you know, you didn't go to college. Like what was the, you know, if I'm not going to do music or when music's done, I'm going to do this. I had no plan. I've ne- I, I had, ze- I've never had a plan. I still don't have a plan. Um, well, you're doing all that at this point with music. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, knock, I'm going to just knock on wood right now. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm doing okay. I feel like, uh, yeah, now I have a plan and it's just to kind of try to sustain this as long as I can. But, um, you know, I, I never really thought of music as a, as a career, I guess when when my second when the second Waxahachie album came out and it it did start to I did have to like quit my day job and kind of just like put all my energy into that because it was just starting to happen. Um, that was the first time that I really thought that was possible, but um, it was never. I mean, I was just like so immersed in the DIY punk ethos and like that scene and all of that stuff that I never thought of it. I, I just wasn't coming from it from that place of like oh this is um i'm just gonna keep at this and keep working at it and eventually it's gonna be my job like that really wasn't what i was thinking i was like i'm just gonna keep this coffee shop job as long as i can and they let me go on tour so it's chill and you know like that was kind of more my um my state of mind and i think more than anything i was just so in invested in the music i was that's just i just wanted to make cool music that i that I could be proud of. That was like kind of the main thing for me. Yeah, no, and 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 you know, I, it, you made unbelievably cool music and continue to make unbelievably <laughs> cool music. Like you're like such an incredible songwriter because you you've got all these different styles and you're like you know it's obviously you hear your voice throughout it, but there's just so many different projects and like you know do you do you think there's ever going to be a point where you like like with PSLE where you reach a point where you're like. I've kind of done this as far as I can. I'm going to start something new or, or I got to start another project to kind of do this thing that I've got inside me. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I think the cool thing with this project that I like with Waxahachie and where I'm at now is that I feel like every record's pretty different from the one before it. And like, I, I tried from the get go to like, like from the first few records to like set myself up for that. Um, because I, I know that I like now that I'm like in my thirties and I've been doing this for so long, I know that, um, I can't make blanket statements, um, about anything really. Cause I just feel like all I do is change. Um, and all we all do is change. So, um, that I feel like, like, uh, and, and I think also through sort of setting myself up right away as like, this is my thing, my solo project. I think I, I, it was easy. It's easy for me to avoid, um, 
getting myself stuck in some kind of creative corner because um, it's always evolving and the people that are playing on the records are evolving and the people who are playing in the band are evolving and who I'm collaborating with is evolving. It's just always changing. So I, I feel like, um, yeah, I guess like the short answer is I, I, I could see that, but I also could see not doing that and just mm -hmm. kind of letting this stay fluid forever. It's also when you get to when you you know when you both arrive in New York and start doing these bands it's it's such a it's almost like that's like the the sort of the culmination of this incredible period for Brooklyn like you think about like like the three record labels being run out of Academy Records were like Freedom School Records Captured Tracks and Sacred Bones like all being run out of the back of the same record store it was like <laughs> it's so what a wild time for It was a wild time Yeah it, it it feels like it's not like that now when you go visit the city. But. I know, I know. It was that was that was exciting. It was an exciting time to like live in New York. I feel like I moved to New York right at the tail end of it being amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I mean, I I was only there for like maybe eighteen months, and then moved down to Philly, kind of. And then we sort of started our our like little Philly world. I can see that being a lot more affordable. Down in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's that's really what happened. I mean, so I started doing Waxahachie and it was it was just a pure solo project. I only performed solo and it was just like, you know, that was right when my first record, American Weekend, um, was released and I was just kind of doing, yeah, just the solo thing. And my sister started swearing um, with her partner at the time and also my partner at the time was the bass player. Um, so like my whole family basically at the, in New York was... <laughs> the band swearing yeah. um and they they sort of collectively as a group wanted to move down to philly because their drummer was in philly and i just sort of went with them um apprehensively because i loved new york and i really didn't want to leave um but i also was working like you know six six days a week and just like could barely tour and could barely afford to live there um so they sort of like gave me the hard sell of like you know you should come down here. We can all work a lot less and live in a really, in a nice house and, uh, just focus on music. And, and, and yeah, that, that's exactly kind of how it went. We moved to Philly. Um, I made Cerulean Salt, my second album, and they made their first album. And, um, we were really tight with that band Radiator Hospital still are, they made their album. Um, they, and we just kind of like, we're making records together and just sort of, were able to not, uh, to, yeah, like I, I was like a babysitter and worked like two <laughs> days a week and could like, just spend all the rest of my time on music. And then, you know, that's really, I feel like because I was able to do that, um, like really shift my focus to that. Um, that's kind of what led me to be able to then sort of do this as my job. And I guess that's another thing that's really changed, you know, not to keep going on about things that have changed now, but it's such a short period of time. But like the idea of having an affordable major metropolis in North America is, is I can't think of too many now. Like Tr Toronto definitely can't afford to do. Art. I know. I know. I mean, you know, Philly is like, it's, it's less affordable. It's still affordable, but it's definitely less affordable than it was. It was, it was crazy. I mean, like 10 years ago, you know, it was it was just a different story. I mean, the thought of moving to New York and trying to be <laughs> any kind of artist now is just so crazy. Yeah, it's it's and it's such a short period of time, you know, that that all changed. I know, I know, it's so true. It's just it's just wild. Um I feel like now the move is to 
live in the middle of nowhere, like yeah. live in like smaller cities. I mean, we live in Kansas city and, um, you know, I feel like that's kind of, I mean, I like it because I like that it's quiet and I like that. Um, I, I like just to not be, it's funny. Like I quit drinking and I just kind of like my whole lifestyle kind of changed around and I'm like, now all I want to do is like be away from the scene. I don't even know what the scene is, yeah. but I just don't want to be anywhere near it. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like my vibe now, but at the time and when, when you're young and you're like trying to make something like make art and like, and have people react to it, like you kind of need the scene. You need like people to, to kind of be your early audience. And, um, yeah, I think it's getting harder for people to do that. Well, and it's also like, you know, you talked about earlier with uh, P.S. Elliot and the kind of scene that you fell into. It's like the idea of a decentralized scene where you're looking, you're going to wind up having to meet people online and 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 kind of have a virtual scene, I guess, meet up in Second Life. I'm, that makes me sound super old now that I reference <laughs> that, but you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, that's what all the kids are doing now. Yeah, and they're meeting so. up in Second Life. Yeah, yeah it's, of that's course. what's happening. That's um, where it's all going down. Um, when Kevin Morby was on, he talked about, uh, you know, and you've done a split with him, obviously, and, and I think you're probably friends with him as well. But, like, he was talking about how the Vivian girls, uh, in his mind, were like, that was the kickoff of that scene we're talking about in New York. And I never thought about it that way. But really, when you think about it, like, that, they were that band and, and really, like, are so emblematic of that kind of period in, in Brooklyn. Oh yeah. Well, first let's back up. Kevin's actually my boyfriend. Um, oh, and I, I, that is really embarrassing. I sort of, no, no, no that's I, okay. <laughs> I was just, just thinking about that's it. So humiliating. I was no, 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 no. It's totally okay. Um, it's really funny because I was just thinking about it. Cause I know he just did the podcast and I was not home when he <laughs> yeah. did the interview. And I was just thinking, I'm like, I literally am probably sitting in the same exact place <laughs> in the same exact position that Kevin sat in when he talked to you. Um, so that's really funny, but no, no, no. Yeah. Kevin and I are together and we live in the same house in the same city. Um, and he loves the Vivian girls and so do I. And we've spent hours unpacking the Vivian girls impact <laughs> on, uh. on the culture. Um, and yeah, man, they were that band and you know, I, I could talk all day about them. I really, they, they're, they were very important to me. Very, they inspired a lot of the stuff that I did early on. And, um, I also think, you know, I, I want someone to make a documentary about them. Cause mm -hmm. I think their story is so interesting, but I think that, you know, it's crazy. I feel like a lot of the conversations around, you know, sexism in the music business, especially in like indie culture, um, you know, happened right after they were really big. And I just think they caught this like insane world of shit that would never fly in 2020. Um, and, and just people don't talk about it enough. You know, I know Jen Pelly wrote an article about it, um, that I, she is, she's another person I have unpacked this with quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I just think it's wild. I think obviously their music is so amazing and so important and I can talk about that forever, but I also just think like the way that it went down with them and like with sort of the early pitchfork culture and um vice culture and all that stuff, I think is just uh it's too bad. It's really too bad. I think that they caught a lot of shit and um and it's pretty fucked up. Well, absolutely. Brooklyn vegan commenters oh. as a meme like that, that's about the Vivian girls. Like that meme is, is a hundred percent. And I, I, I think even that article where they got shit because they, they said something about quote unquote normal people and people freak the fuck out at them. Like they had said something racist. It was the wildest, most in, yeah, horrendous shit. 
It's crazy. I mean, and that's the thing. I think it's just, you know, all the stuff that I feel like I celebrate, like just like their, their way of playing and their style and their like, um, you know, their aesthetic and everything I feel like was so influential and was also the thing that I think threatened this new breed of online troll, like mm-hmm. just like this, like hyper masculine sort of, um, just reactionary vibe that like just it rubbed that whole thing the wrong way and then i think that like now those people that sort of say those things and the the brooklyn vegan commenters you know at large i think are just um on the fringe of society i think we all are finally collectively like on the same page about trolls um and i think at the time it was, it was murky and they got, and they, and you know, people, I know I was like this at the time, just like a deeply reactionary, like deeply sort of, um, hard line, like feminist person at the time. And I feel like I, you know, it did not fly with me and I was always so upset by it, but I also feel like it was a time when that was, that was just how people were reacting to each other online. It was like kind of hateful and mean and like, you know, like people like vice was a huge deal and that was like so snarky and that was just the way that we were that was just the vibe back then and i think like they they really caught the the most shit um and it was it was deeply sad um for a lot of reasons but one of the biggest ones i think is is that they were such a huge band like they were such a huge band like like for so many bands that came after them and like just a huge band in like what they were just putting out there into the world, like just in so many ways, like the music, you know, the style, the aesthetic, the influences, all of that stuff was just so cool and huge for so many people. And then for them to also then catch so much bullshit, it was just like, it's a sad story to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And and look at what those well, I guess it's like five people in total that were in the band over the course of the band, but like, you know, however many people, like all of them do other bands, like all of them do other things in music. Of course. And it's and then they just like made an amazing record, you know, yeah, this year. Came back yeah. and did something amazing. Yeah, totally. I um yeah, I have like all the love and respect in the world for Vivian Girls. They were a really big deal to me. Yeah, I, I it's the exact same way. And and like you're saying, they were the last band where it felt like, like, not that, not that artists and obviously uh, women and non-binary artists and, and trans artists get it way worse than dude artists, but like they were the last artists where it was kind of acceptable to bully. Like you're saying, like, it, it was just like, it was kind of like, nah, it's okay. You can do that. It's, it's okay to be horrible to people. Like you can say something really snarky in this sort of like review or article and it, it, it'll slide. Yeah, totally. I think that one thing I at least in like my community um that I, I i really feel like has changed is like we i think we are a little softer to each other now and i think that um i mean at least that's how i try to live my life and that's how i like try to that's like the how i want people to sort of be and but i feel like um yeah they were kind of the last band where like people uh like like a lot of people weren't that way and <laughs> it was kind of like the norm to not be that way and i also think like you know, just being a person with a platform, I I just feel like it was all jealousy. Like that's really the energy that, that was sort of like lingering around them was like, it was like men who felt that they weren't deserving of their, 
um, stature in within the scene. And it was just so damaging and horrible. And I think like, you know, obviously they were just so such a big deal to so many people. So I don't know. It's I could t- I, I when I say I could talk all day about the Vivian girls, I mean it. Mm-hmm. No, I, and, <laughs> and, and like I've had them, and it's funny. I've had well, I've only had. Uh, I, well, I guess I've I've only had a couple of them on, but I've had a few of them on, and I've never really talked to them. But I wonder if that kind of like, well, I'm sure it did. That kind of hatred and negative energy just led to be, them being like, "What the fuck? Why are we doing this? Let's just stop." You know, like I can't imagine it's easy to carry on with that kind of shit coming at you. Yeah, totally. I mean, and granted, they are so celebrated, also. So I don't want to like make it like they got you know like. But it's after you know, the fact, right? Like you said. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, and I I feel like. Like, yeah, they're, they're all making cool music now and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, all of that. Like the, just the, the redemption of the Vivian girls, I think is happening, is among us. And that's really. I think you just named the documentary. That's, that's <laughs> I think you should. I can't believe you haven't done this. That's my next project is the Vivian. Maybe I'll make a podcast about it. The, just the Vivian girls story that, you know, here we go. Having done both, you can easily do it. Like, I can't even, you know, you can tune a guitar and I can't even do that. So you can clearly do a podcast and make a documentary. (laughs) I love it. It's a good idea. Well, Katie, this has been incredible having you on the show. And my children, it's a strike day for schools here in Toronto. So my kids are about to come home and it's going to get very noisy. But at some (laughs) point in the future, would you come back and do a part two? I would love to do a part two. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, this this has been really, really fun. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. And anytime you want to come back, the door is always open. Thanks, Damien. I appreciate it. Thank you, Katie, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Katie will be back for a part two um, when there's not a school strike going on, hopefully. Um, but no, that was awesome. Oh, my gosh. And And Kevin, and how did I not know? That Katie and Kevin knew each other. Like I, you know, I should have, I, I assume they knew each other, but I mean like lived together. How did I not know that? Well, you know what? When you pay attention to the matrix numbers of records, the rest of life kind of slips by you sometimes. So anyway, maybe we can have them on together. That'd be weird. Maybe we shouldn't. No, we'll have separate part twos. Anyway, I'm just brainstorming right now. Speaking of brainstorming, next week on the show, the base god himself, the guy who I owe I owe a lot for getting me on this journey. Mike Watt is coming to the show. That's right, from Minutemen, from from Firehose, from Chicone Youth, from uh, Society Ills, and and from Ball Hog. Mike Watt is on the show. This is a, this is an amazing episode. It's a monster. We're peaking the levels. <laughs> Things in the red the whole time. Uh, it's excited. You know, it's just two guys that love to talk talking and oh oh man i oh we're just on strength of strength we're just we're on another hot streak here over here at uh turn out of punk so so ride the wave with us and go out there and make your own culture and 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 please support our patreon and thank you people that do support the patreon check out footnotes we're gonna have a good time on footnotes talking about this one and and sign your organ donor cards and and uh just be nice to each other try and be nice to each other um Yeah, that's it. Uh, And I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you, Katie. And thank you. Thank you to my friend, Mark. Mark, again, you came through for me, buddy. Um, Mark, Mark, 
you know, works for Katie and, and helps set this whole thing up. So Mark O'Donnell, you know, comes through again. He, you know, I'm, I'm, we'll get Mark on the show eventually. He's got stories too. All right. That's it, everyone. See you next week. Thanks for listening.